0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Sofen. Here at the Smart Firefighting Podcast, we bring practical innovation to life for first responders. We break down the research roadmap for smart firefighting, published in 2015 by the National Fire Protection Association, NFPA, and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. We bring in entrepreneurs, fire chiefs, thought leaders, and really smart people to bring you value around innovation in smart firefighting. Make sure to follow us on social media and let us know what you think. This episode of Smart Firefighting is brought to you by Flame Systems. Flame offers fully immersive virtual reality learning solutions for training in hazardous and emergency situations. This allows first responders to learn how to fight fires in safe, realistic, dynamic virtual environments. To learn more, check out flamesystems.com. Here in this chat, you're gonna hear from Dr. Jason Motes, who's the director for Teaks Testing and Innovation Center at Texas A&M. We're gonna talk about what is Teaks Tested? and this is a where TEAKS takes technology and puts it through the ringer we're going to learn about why it's important to actually put technology through operational testing to help ensure technology is actually being developed for the right reasons we want to make sure first responders have a voice in the process to bring technology up the ranks and make sure entrepreneurs aren't wasting their money on technology that no one's going to use we're also going to talk about tech transfer and some of the work going on in the defense space and a range of other things. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoy creating. Take care.
1: Jason, it's a uh, day today. It is Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. How are you doing today?
2: Doing great, Kevin. Thanks for uh, setting all this up and having me on today.
1: Of course. So for those of us that don't have the pleasure of having multiple conversations and knowing who Dr. Jason Motz is, give me a 40,000 foot view of who is Dr. Jason Moats?
2: Sure. So uh, I've been a first responder or involved in emergency services for a good portion of the last 40 years. I started out as a kid in Southern Indiana, working with local fire departments. Most of the time, ironically, I was doing training. I was, uh, my folks trained EMTs and volunteer firefighters across the Southern half of Indiana, and I go along and be the demonstration mannequin. It would not be uncommon for me to pick up a K-12 saw and show how to start it. And then in the next uh, few minutes or so, end up being the person with 50 pounds of hog intestines on them, trying to show what an evisceration looks like. So I've spent a lot of time doing that and, and been fortunate that uh, to grow up in that community. So I uh, became an EMT in Indiana and then. Later went into the U.S. Navy as a hospital corpsman, where I continued to uh, do emergency response type things. I worked for the ambulance service at Naval Hospital of Pensacola. And I uh, was also on a volunteer fire department right next to Pensacola and just did a lot of stuff, uh, taught uh, EMTs, taught firefighters, went out to a ship. The USS Vincennes as the uh, leading petty officer for the medical department. Spent about a year and a half out there and uh, chased some bad guys and and uh, did some stuff like, you know, some Navy things. And then uh, after that, came back and, interestingly enough, uh, went to seminary. So spent three years in seminary and then I went to work for the Kentucky Division of Emergency Management. So, you know, for us, one of the pivotal questions that, you know, for folks is, where were you on nine eleven? And uh, I was in the state EOC in Kentucky, helping uh, get blood, trans- or blood packages to, uh, to New York and helping get uh, submarine commanders to New York and take care of things in Kentucky. And then uh, in 2002, uh, some folks had come up and were teaching courses. They came up from Texas A&M and handed in my resume. And I came down for an interview and I've been at, at the Texas A and M Engineering Extension Service ever since. Since since February of 2002, I started as an instant management instructor, and then after that, have just kind of crawled up the ladder, front to a a training manager over instant management programs, and then ultimately associate director of the uh, of the Brayton Firefield to where I sit today, which is the director of our Testing and Innovation Center. So. Been around for a long time and, and been fortunate enough to be part of this career field.
1: So, well, from, yeah. From the uh, for being a training dummy in the fields with hog intestines on you to now with your role at uh, TEKS uh, Testing and uh, Innovation Center, it's that's quite the awesome journey. Sort of a good example of you never know from where you start to where you're going to eventually go. So, thank you for all your continued service and just unique path to where you are today. And I loved hearing, and I think that's an important thing. We always talk about where we were on 9-11. And I think that's just a photographic memory for everyone. So I was, I was a bit younger and I was going off to school and just remember sitting there, uh, walking in my parents' room just with all the questions. But I, I think back about from when I first started working within public safety about 10 years ago, it's sort of, those are the moments I think about, about why we are continuing to innovate and explore new technology solutions to keep first responders better, faster, safer to help themselves and help the community. Um, and those are those north star moments we come back to about why we do what we do. And it's remarkable to hear about where your journey, and then now even kind of to where we are today. And especially keen on this the TEEX Testing Innovation Center, TEEX Ticks Tick. TIC, you know, tell us a bit more about that. I know that's had it's had some iterations over the year, but. It's 2022. And, and what's the story of it now? What is it? And kind of paint a picture on how people can kind of even get involved with it.
2: Yeah, it's an amazing story that that comes with a tick. When I first arrived here, we were involved in the SAFER program. So we were doing evaluations of technology, and it was really neat because our urban search and rescue team, Texas A&M Task Force One, was intimately involved in that, and they were doing testing of everything from tires to saw blades to even some power equipment and doing an evaluation to say, okay, this stuff is, yeah, it's a saw blade, but it really works in this operational context, or it doesn't. And so, we were involved in that for a number of years, and the program, as they do, kind of faded away. And so, we held on to many of the pieces of that, and from that came our product development center. And so, what the product development center did was help manufacturers work through some of the processes of developing a product to bring into public safety. So... We did a lot of work with that. We did things like market assessments. We did product evaluations. We did also some business and economic development work with with these developers and manufacturers. And so in about 2016, we had a big boost with a contract where we were helping do technology transfer from DOD technologies into public safety. So when you hear that, people go, oh, wait, oh, so you were doing MRAPs and things like that and bringing them in? No. The things we were working with were some of the smaller technologies. For example, think about a flashbang that doesn't have a pyrotechnic charge to it, but is powered by a battery, and so it's intrinsically safe. Think about Other uh, devices like fire extinguishing solution that doesn't have uh, the the PFO or PFOS in it. So we were working with that, and we would start with three or four hundred candidate technologies at the beginning of a year, and whittle that down to three, and then help them transition into the public safety market. So we did that for about three years. It was a huge success, and as I said, like uh, programs do, this one just kind of went away, other priorities in the government happened. And so that funding left. And so in early 2020, just as the pandemic was setting in, our agency director, David Coatney, had a vision and said, you know what, what we do with this technology is really important. We need to keep on the cutting edge. We need to help keep it real, if you will. And so he asked me to take on redefining what our product development center did and through that became our testing and innovation center where we do some uh, very few things, but we do them very well. So one of our hallmarks is operational testing called Teeks Tested, where we bring in technology that may be at a, a high level of uh, high technology readiness level. and. We'll sit down and we will put it through some operational assessments. It may be, for example, drone technology. It may be personnel accountability technology. It just really depends. It could be saw blades. And our diversity, our diverse portfolio is really what we we claim. And so we look at things that are entering into the public safety Homeland security and workplace safety ecosystems. So, and we we bring them out. We leverage both Teak's facilities and our extensive personnel experience to do that event to do those evaluations. Other things we do are we do uh, market assessments. So, uh, if a company has a piece of technology, they want to know if it's ready to come into the market or if they should work further. We work with them. We'll do a market assessment, and then the other thing we do is a lot of collaboration with the researchers that are studying the current problems of, of being in public safety or emergency response, disaster management, and those fields. And so we're looking at everything from how you can use exoskeletons and augmented reality to improve EMS operations to uh, how we can use drones more effectively to what does the next generation of robot need to have to be able to come into and be of great use to public safety. What we do is we try to work with the researcher to help them understand the problem so they don't come to us with a solution and then go looking for the problem. So we start with a a user-centered design and help them push into a user-centered solution.
1: And I think that's common. We see a lot of times first responder entrepreneurs or technologists that are trying to bring technology into space, they they have this great idea and this concept and they sit in front of the whiteboard and drawing and out some pictures and throwing some hypothetical numbers together, but then we lack that true operational assessment and that, that feedback from first responders about, hey, if you just change this feature or this widget or this setting, it would go a long way to true market adoption. Tell me more about kind of that process of taking tech, trying tech, breaking it down, and, you know, kind of giving that valuable feedback to these entrepreneurs and technologists that are, that have the best intentions, but sometimes still need to be handheld and in, in, into the right direction.
2: You know, I'll start off with a story. I remember this has been probably 2003. I went to a, a summit where we were talking about, of all things, agroterrorism in Kansas city. And, uh, there were two guys that came in from, uh, FDNY one was a duty commander. He was the duty commander for Midtown Manhattan. And the other was a, a firefighter. And Kevin, you may know him, Vince Darty. And they came in and they were talking about, you know, we just need a couple things. We need a Z axis on our personnel location devices. We need to know where they are in that elevation. And they said, we, what we don't need are more detectors that we can't really use in the field and so he left it there and i i went up to him later and i said what are you talking about about this he said well this company came out and they had this wonderful forecast detector and you know the screen you could see things it was you know really high tech and and everything else and he said they even had touch screen on it and i said yeah that sounds really cool i'd love to see it and he said yeah we didn't do anything with it because uh have you ever tried to use a touchscreen with leather gloves on? And that that just sunk into me where hey, it's could be the coolest greatest technology and you know millions of dollars dumped into it and practically it's it's useless. So what we started with our our DOD program and then we've gone on is this project called Teek's Tested. And so TEAKS Tested is a seven-step operational assessment where we sit down with the technology and we look at what it does, what it's supposed to do, where it fits in into the operational landscape of emergency response. And that from that, we build forward a protocol that encompasses the existing standards. And, and quite often we find that we're outrunning much of this technology outruns the standards. And so we pull those in, we sit down and impanel a group of subject matter experts that would use the technology. They may be familiar with it, they may not, or similar technology. And we ask them, how would you use this? and And from that, we start building a scenario or multiple scenarios that we can actually put this technology through its paces. And so I keep using the word technology because... What we work with is so diverse that every time that we come up with a new TEEX tested protocol or every time we get a, a new customer, it's almost a new TEEX tested protocol because they have just different uh, technologies. So, for example, UAS technology is great, but it has some may really be good for delivering small payloads. Others may be great for mapping and doing ISR work. Others may be great for delivering a whole person. And uh, we happen to be working with all three of these right now, where you've got uh, small payloads coming in, but it doesn't have a sensor suite on it. You have another that has a sensor suite on it, but no payload capacity. And another that is uh, potentially going to be large enough to be able to carry in 250 pounds of equipment and carry out one person autonomously. And so we're really excited about about seeing those things. And as you can imagine, there aren't a whole lot of standards for that. So once we come up with a scenario to put this through the operational test, we execute those and then we write it up. And when we write it up, it's not to say whether or not it passes or fails this is a performance evaluation and so if you think about car and driver when you turn to the back of car and driver and, and they've looked at a uh, you know a lamborghini and a porsche and a maserati they talk about certain things hey it got to 0 to 60 in in 3.2 seconds it corners like it's on rails and it does these kinds of things and that's what our TEEX tested evaluation is it's looking at common elements But saying this is how it performed, saying that with maybe a few recommendations for operational use, but at the end of the day, it's not an endorsement. It's simply something that gives that purchasing officer, that chief, that battalion chief, that captain, the ability to look at that technology as it's been in the hands of a peer and say, you know what, I think this will work for our department or... Maybe this isn't not something we can invest in because it doesn't do what we need it to do, and so our whole purpose at the at the TEEX Testing and Innovation Center is really not to make you know not to get royalties and things like that off of this technology. Our purpose is to help that chief that's sitting there trying to figure out: Do I need to invest in this two hundred fifty thousand dollar robot? Or do I need to invest in four more firefighters? Or do I need to, you know, what do I need to
1: do? And so we take a lot of pride in being able to, to I mean, work through that. On that. I think it's, it's important. You know, it's, it's, it's a challenge because technology is starting to evolve so fast. And you have standards where there are a lot of different standard bodies, organizations, some that think like in America, a lot of people know of, of OSHA, know of, of NFPA, know of UL, and I think that sometimes people are maybe struggle to know what standards should we be adhering to from the manufacturer side to the first responder side. Um, obviously, NFPA in, in UL and UL in different ways are, are very big and, and OSHA. Um, but I think just that balance of w- knowing what are the standards, how do the standards change, how do the technology go into this? Is this, am I technically compliant? Is this actually a very good thing, but just is not compliant and the standards need to catch up? And I'm just an early... An early bird here. There's just there's a lot of different factors at play. And I, I expand on that more about just kind of this balance between evolving standards and evolving tech and and how we are and kind of teach his role with kind of helping to provide comfort and, and confidence that, you know, technology can be implemented and integrated in an effective and safe and productive manner.
2: You've touched on a really, really important piece of what we do and, and what we try to do. So we... We spend a lot of time doing the research in the background of, you know, what technology or what what standards apply, you know, uh, d- how does this fit in with OSHA, how does this fit in with EPA, you know, and those various things, as well as more voluntary standards like NFPA and things like that, where it may not be the standard that you have to follow, but it's the best practice. And so we assemble that as we start with that technology and look, you know, what applies. We also spend a a significant amount of time talking to the standard makers. So we reach out to NFPA and say, okay, Hey, we're looking at a piece of fire apparatus. How does the new 1901 standard going to impact that or 1900 series going to impact that or we're looking at drones. We're looking at, you know, data analysis tools. So how will 1022 impact? So all of those things go into pulling that in. We do an analysis. We sit down with some really hard science researchers and and scientists and pull them into the mix to help us. One of the things, Kevin, that we don't try to be is we don't, Trying to be an underwriters laboratory or you know an ISO certified uh, lab, those places exist, and I think we all can think of of stories that where something has come out as UL certified, but it doesn't work for beams in the field. And so, what we really try to do is make sure that this is uh, that the technology that comes out is operationally sound for the practice that we do in public safety. So uh, the standards are really important and I don't want to downplay those at all, but it's more important that when that technology gets on the back of that fire truck and that rookie goes to pull it off, that it works like it's supposed to. And more importantly, what we are also working on is helping come up with best practices for that technology. So if you go out and you buy a fire Fighting robot, there are some things that you got to think about how you're going to use it. It doesn't work in all situations. I mean, these this technology is great, and we spend gobs and gobs of money on getting that cool thing. But if you're getting technology simply for technology's sake, you're not helping yourself. You're not helping your department, and certainly not the, our customers that we're out there to to help, you know, as cheap Bernasini is famous for yeah, saying. Just
1: because, just because it's a cool, shiny object doesn't mean you should buy it. Granted, there are... Sometimes I people ask me, oh, what do you do? And I say, hey, I sometimes I, I work with toys with life-saving capabilities. But they are... that That's sort of a joke in the sense that they are... You know, when you see drones, people think, oh, cool, consumer-grade. And of course, there's a big movement of how we transfer technology from the consumer level, transfer technology from... The military level, bring it into public safety. Um, but it's still all this effort, all this technology needs to come and lead towards making public safety better than it was before. Tech isn't supposed to make your life harder. It's not supposed to just be something that you show off in a parade. It's really meant to be something that moves the needle in a positive way. So, I mean, expand more on that too about like how to overcome the bias against something new while also making sure that we need to consider new stuff as we enter kind of this evolving landscape.
2: You know, I work with uh, Dr. Ranjan Ameta here at Texas A&M, who is working with this uh, unique set of, uh, of tools that we have called human augmentation technologies. Because we all know we have a finite level of capability that we can do. You know, while I would love to say I can climb six flights of stairs carrying a Milwaukee pack and not be breathing hard by the time I do, and and I can do that all day long, the reality is I can't, probably because in all seriousness, I haven't seen a flight of stairs in maybe a decade or so, but that's beside the point. But the real thing that is that goes along with this is... We have people that have to do that all the time. And if there were ways that we could help them, then we should. So we, we look at this technology and there are three really important questions about technology that we try to answer through the Teeks tested and through other evaluations that we do. One, will this technology help you do your job better? Two, is can you see yourself using This technology? And the third one is Is the investment of learning to use the technology paid for by actually using it? So, as a good friend of mine says, is the juice worth the squeeze? So, if I take the time to learn this and the investment that goes into that, will it pay off in the field? And if we can't answer yes to those questions, then the chances of it being used in operations is pretty slim. So in our assessments, that's really the root that lies to all of this is one: will it make us make it so we can do our job better, and how? So we have to provide that how it works as well. What is it that it will do? So I go back to my example of climbing, you know, the six flights of stairs with sixty pounds fire hose. You know, imagine if you could do that and your knees and your hips. Didn't hurt. Your legs weren't quivering and fatigued. And I know there are some folks out there that can do that, but that wouldn't it be awesome? Or you know, back in my day, I was riding tailboard in in Pensacola, Florida, and the roads are crested there. So you you know, you go up and over, and you know, here I am, almost thirty years later, and I'm paying the price for that as I walk around with these stiff and sore knees that just got hammered. If we had had some. Back then, that would protect our bodies against that trauma, that would be great. And so we have those things, you know, powered exoskeletons are an example. But what these things do is they help increase the capacity and the capability of humans. And so those are the technologies that we look at. We look at it we using those three root questions as much as we can, and then we start figuring out, okay, how would we help somebody implement this into their operations? So that's where we get into the best practices.
1: And Jason, I like the exoskeleton topic is a good one. I think I was in internships just a couple of weeks ago, and there was this one gentleman from Germany who developed an exoskeleton. And I think a lot it catches a lot of people's eyes, and a lot of people think, oh, is this... Just creating the next sort of Batman or Thor type thing. And, and, and I think the mindset, at least with exoskeletons, is, is that no, just don't think of it as an exoskeleton. Don't think of it as you're going to become Superman, but think of this as in a device that allows you to do your job in the field for longer with lower risk of injury. And that verbiage is so critical because in public safety, a lot of industries, but the particular public safety, tradition is very ingrained. For mostly better, sometimes worse. Um, but I think when thinking of that, the verbiage about how we approach new technology, that's so important to show that we're not trying to disrupt the tradition of the brother and the sisterhood and and how why we need public safety members to do a job. But what are your thoughts on just the verbiage and the vernacular and how we and your message to entrepreneurs about how they can they may have the best thing in the world, and it might be literally just a, a phrase or a couple words away from really cracking that big conversation. What would you say about that?
2: Well, what we say about it is know your audience. I'm working with, with a researcher now at Texas Tech University, and he is put on a call for people that he wants to talk about when you have overlapping in. End- overlapping incidents. So you have COVID and a wildfire, you have COVID and a hurricane. And we were talking last night and he said, you know, I just need these emergency managers to really talk. And I said, really? And as we talked about it, he didn't need emergency managers. He wanted battalion chiefs. He wanted police lieutenants. He wanted folks. I said, you know, you've got to know the vernacular of the people you're talking to so they'll hear you. And so to your point, Kevin, the key is if you're going to come in and you're going to pitch something, you're going to tell people that this is going to work for them. It is true in, in our domains of public safety, fire, police, EMS, communications, that if you walk in and you're not talking about battalion chiefs and you're not talking about you know, the engine or an engine company and things like that, and you're not talking in our language, you lose credibility. And you get about three shots with that, and then you soon get tuned out. And so when I sit down with, with somebody that's coming in and they're getting ready to go up in front of, uh, you know, the Harris County Fire Marshal or, you know, the Dallas Fire Chief, that's the first thing I tell them is, one, know who you're talking to and be able to speak that language. They're not expecting you to be an expert by any means, but if you walk in and say, hey, how you doing there, you know, Lieutenant so-and-so, and and they've got stars on their shoulder, Mm -hmm. that, that could be a challenge. So know that audience, first of all. And then more importantly than that, know their problem. That's probably the biggest challenge I see when I talk to developers are they come in And I think I mentioned it before. They've got a great solution. And then they try to identify the problem that their solution fits. And it works about 70% of the time that you can get lucky enough to line those things up and, and your solution will work. But there's something to be said for starting with the problem and building the solution around that problem. Because there are some nuances... It's always fun to sit down and explain to uh, folks the difference between, in just in firefighting, the difference between ARF and wildland and industrial and municipal and rural municipal and things like that. So we take a, a lot of the time to talk to them about that because they come in and say, well, we have a firefighting tool. Absolutely you do. Now, which sector of firefighting are you interested in?
1: Yeah. And they're they're quite different. Even wildland from the west to east to I know when I was talking with Dr. Lori Moore Merrill, she talked just even particularly about wildland of how going from the wildland urban interface to the wildland itself to dealing with wildfire and kind of just the, the nature of how we train the different types of role and the roles of fire service members and kind of the the true interface where the wildland and the urban interface actually meet and how it's, it's important to have similar vernacular so we can be talking about the same thing. So we can then of course design products and technologies and standards to best support all this because it can be a bit confusing. I mean, I've been in it for 10 years now um, and still find myself talking with members like yourself, learning something new every day. And, and I, and I just, I want to continue to encourage first responders, uh, but particularly the entrepreneurs and technologists to listen to what Dr. is saying here on that. Truly the best advice we could give you with smart firefighting is don't try and match a solution to a problem. Truly start with the why put yourself in your in the customer's shoes, live a day in their life, go and live in a fire station for a couple of days and just ask questions, learn what they like to do for fun, learn how when, what, what it is like from the second day firefighter wakes up to the second day they go to sleep. What do they do? And what are they thinking about? What are the pain points? And I think that ties into, Jason, your comments just about the operational this practicality of stuff. You know, really all this is just stuff unless it's actually practical. What are you seeing today or recently that's something that is really caught your eye of something that maybe you weren't thinking about six months ago, a year or two ago, and now you're like, wow, this has a lot of practicality to truly enhance first responder operations.
2: You know, there's a lot, Kevin, that are coming out now. I mean, you've got the drones and the robots and things like that, and we're going to continue to see that uh, mature. The I think uh, the UAS systems have really uh, started to grab up a pretty good foothold in public safety, not only in law enforcement, but in firefighting and and other operations. One of the things that I'm seeing a tremendous amount of attention coming to are geolocation and personnel accountability software, where we're able to track people using transponders of some sort, you know, either integrated in with past devices or with their cell phone or, you know, other things so we can track where they are. And it goes back to that, you know, that whole discussion that I remember so well from, from that conference with the guys from FDNY, which is, we really need to have that Z-axis. So, you know, DHS Science and Technology came out about a half ago with the pointer device, which has a Z-axis. And we're starting to see that. And those are great, as long as we have ways to be able to see where everybody is. I think that tragedies are going to continue to bring in technology and, you know, the problem continues to be defined more and more. So one of the things that comes to mind is Uvalde. And we're right on the day after that the big report came out from the Texas legislature on the response to Uvalde. And one of the things they talk about was you had people in one hallway on the south side of school and teams stacking up in another hallway on the north side of the school, and they didn't know where each other was. So those common operating picture, operational, uh, situational awareness, those are really, really continuing to be important things that we see. And so the technology that comes into that, as we see FirstNet becoming more and more prevalent, 5G and even millimeter wave 5G and sub 6G, those are going to change the way we do it, that we do instant management. you know. And then the other thing that continues to just amaze me is the integration that we're seeing with these commercial off-the-shelf pieces to create new systems. So what we're going to see is, for example, UAS with the camera on it being fed into a dashboard in the back of uh, an incident command vehicle. And maybe you'll have three or four of those feeding that in you're going to see artificial intelligence and machine learning that continue to be decision aids to that instant commander. You know, about three weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to be at a conference where we were talking about technology and emergency response and things like that. And and somebody raised the issue about, well, you know, this will replace humans. And one of the speakers, uh, Dr. Jeff Allen from University of North Texas, said, Gaz, wait a minute. He said, you know, the There's a lot of things that humans, we can automate, okay? A lot of things. But one thing we can't automate is wisdom. And wisdom is uniquely a human trait, a human characteristic, and we'll never be able to automate that. And so I think that that's a really important piece as we think through this. We'll always need to have a human in the loop for managing these large incidents for managing the small incidents because of uh, you can only teach a computer so many rules and it can only make so many connections. So we're continuing to watch and see these things. Medical IoT is a big deal and an integration with the ecosystem around you as we see more and more smart cities. Those that smart city, those smart city IoT devices, are great aids for public safety and help build more of that common operating picture as you're driving into an incident. We have devices that, you know, they look like a street lamp, and yet they might have microphones on. And so you can use them to triangulate and figure out what directionality the gunfire is coming from, all the way to what caliber of weapon has been fired and where it was in relationship to that microphone. We are using things like LIDAR to detect, you know, threats, but also detect oncoming cars. And, you know, so there's just a lot of things that are coming down the road that that we see right now and so much potential for things that we haven't even thought
1: of yet. Yeah. I mean, our this conversation could go on for hours in terms of when we're trying to break down and, and paint a picture on on some of the different challenges and opportunities that exist. But I, I really like to point on the importance of the human the human brain. I mean, there's something, uh, we are perfectly imperfect species and there's something that uh, will forever make us different than an algorithm. And that's something that is important as we're continuing to explore public safety and, and just the best way that we can find this balance of technology and humans. Granted, there are times every day when I, I feel like we're just moving closer and closer to the matrix and ready player one and it sometimes terrifies me, but then maybe I'm a piece of that puzzle. I don't know. But nonetheless, I want to do it responsibly, ethically, and authentically to make sure that uh, it's done equitable and, and just as the, the right way as possible. But so a lot a lot in that either way, but I think just to kind of try and pull it back a little bit just to and in, in the Testing Innovation Center Give me sort of a final message about if someone wanted to explore a TEEX Tested or get involved with testing innovation center, like what's the roadmap on how they would go about doing that?
2: So it's really easy. Start at our website, TEEXinnovation.com, T-E-E-X innovation.com. And you can pull that up. You can see a little bit of what we do. And you can always email me. We, we're glad to respond to inquiries. We're always looking for people that are available to to help do the testing. Uh, sometimes we can uh, bring in part and parcel. Uh, other times we'll you know, do virtual uh, group sessions and work through some of that. But it really starts with, and if you've got an idea, if you wanna talk about a technology idea that you're having emailing me is probably the best way. And then we can sit down with our staff and just have a discussion, just like we're doing right now, getting up on zoom and talking about it. And then you can always come here to good old college station, Texas, and we'll uh, cook up some barbecue and take you out to the fire field where it's uh, by the way, I just want to mention it's 103 degrees right here. And we have uh our school training going on with about uh, 800 people cooking and, and baking out
1: in, in the great Texas sun. Yeah, I think I'll come down in January. How's that sound? I actually am going to come down in January for the, uh, the leadership conference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a yeah. yeah. Conversation, but uh, that's all so wonderful, Jason. I got, uh, we'll put the, the email and the website and LinkedIn on the profile. And everyone listening, I just, I recommend you take advantage of this. I and mean, then Jason, someone that I've, I've had the opportunity to know for kind of probably gone like five years now and um, just have always been able to pick up the phone and talk to him about anything. And Teeks is one important piece of the puzzle that I, that I encourage you all to, to really explore. And so take advantage of this. And Jason, uh, kind of final thoughts here. What's What would be a final thought, question, quote that you would like to leave everyone here with today?
2: If you're looking at, making technology, you're not alone, okay? If if you're interested in building technology into the public safety realm and, and you've got a great idea, you're not alone. Reach out and we can talk. If you're interested in a piece of technology, and you don't know where to go to evaluate it, to look at it, to, to see if the investment's worth it, you're not alone either. Give us a call here, talk to us, reach out through Smart Firefighting. We're happy to uh, have a conversation. If we can't help you. We know lots of people that may be able to. And so the other thing is, I will say, nothing's too crazy. We have seen some really interesting things that on the surface we went, there is no way that'll work. And we've been able to see it pass on into the operational environment. So it's just an idea and
1: ideas go a long ways. Nothing is too crazy. I couldn't agree more. And, and even if it is crazy, there might be a piece of the crazy that could be applied and somehow turned into a piece of the puzzle that is going to help other people out. So thank you, Jason, for, for all your time, your service, your wisdom over the years. And um, I'm really excited to see what's next for everything with you and teek's Testing Innovation Center.
2: Well, Kevin, thanks for having us on and uh, we'll talk soon, I hope. Yep. Till next time.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast today. If you enjoyed what you heard and got any value, please drop us a rating, leave us a comment, or reach out to us on social media. Have a great day, and together we can advance the future of smart firefighting.